on this Palm Sunday morning, Jesus teaches, teaches us about the victory of surrender. And when we come to the end of today's service, we will open the altar and invite any who so desire to spend time with Christ, considering what surrender might mean in your life. But as we begin, the words together seem rather impossible, I think, don't they? How can surrender and victory go together? I think there's some kids in here right now. This will make sense to you. A couple years ago, I was playing Monopoly with my great nephew. He was about yay big. And as we were playing, he got Park, park Place and Boardwalk. You know. And he put hotels on him. You know. And before very long, I'm going, I quit. I'm done. You can have what's left of my money. I am through with this. I am over and out. That was surrender, but it wasn't victory. It wasn't winning. It was losing. The same is also true with countries. Past former President Kennedy said, the cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. And one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender. He flat out said that surrender is a bad thing. It was to lose, and we would have no part of it. He was actually saying that we would do whatever it took in our power to not surrender. So to, why does Jesus teach us the opposite during Holy Week? How can surrender bring victory? In John chapter 12, I invite you to turn your Bibles there. That's what we're working through. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 33. Jesus teaches us that there can be sweet, even eternal victory in surrender based on two very important things. The first is who we surrender to. And the second is the purpose of your surrender. You see, surrendering to God is different than surrendering to anyone or anything else. When we surrender to God, we are yielding to one who invites us into his strength, but never forces us. That's a pretty big deal because so often surrender is attached to a violent takeover. It's forced upon another. Not so with God. He invites, we decide. Another important thing about surrendering to God is that he does not need our power. He is not trying to beat us in order to increase his resources. He has all the power already. He certainly doesn't need the power that we laughingly believe we have. He is sovereign. 
We can pretend that he's not, but we're wrong. Friends, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need your power. And that makes surrender to God very different than surrender to another human. In our human games, we are usually trying to add to our own power base. That's one of the main points of trying to get another to surrender, whether we're talking person to person or country to country. Surrender to God is not a power play. Equally important is the purpose of surrendering to God, which is so very unique. His invitation to surrender is because he wants you to be whole. He wants you to live in his love and in his peace. The purpose of God's invitation to surrender is actually to set you free. And he invites you to let go of something. He is calling you into his love and goodness, even when the path of surrender is hard. Let's look at today's scripture and see how surrender perhaps brings us victory. Read this with me, if you would, please. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Okay, that was pitiful. I know most of you can read. Let's do it together. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. We need to read it loudly because it is so bizarre. What on earth does that mean? Well, think of it like this. When we enter into this life, we have nothing, really, but our body, our soul, and our mind. And it's our true self. It's who God created us to be. That's all we have when we come into the world. But as we live our life, all sorts of things begin to attach themselves to us. And we attach ourselves to things. Let me give you way too many examples. From earliest days, we all come into life with various experiences. Bad or good? For one person, early experiences might include abuse and constant fighting, a world filled with fear. For another, the earliest experiences might be marked by safety and love. But whichever is the case, we bring it with us and build our identity around those early experiences. Even if we don't like those experiences, we still protect them because we come to believe that those experiences are who we are. Along the way, we begin to pick up values. I'll just give you one to consider. I'm sure it's none of you, but it might ring true for somebody. How about the value of comfort? If you learn to value comfort, you spend much of your life doing whatever it takes to make yourself feel good, protected, and you'll go to great measures to avoid conflict. Sometimes, 
after we win or lose that very first spelling bee, I was always the loser, we begin to have identity labels that we kind of place on ourselves and others help us along. For some, the label is, I can do anything. For others, the label is, everybody's better than I am. And then, we set to convincing ourselves and the world that this is true. We see commercials, hear songs, watch others, and become totally convinced that life is not adequate without the latest bit of technology and various other things and stuff. And then we chase after the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing over and over and over. We all, as we are so aware today, but every one of us, even if you don't know Sharon, we all receive wounds. Wounds are things that cut into our hearts and our soul. They are losses that go beyond our understanding and they change our lives forever. We develop habits, habits that we feel we need in order to hide our hurts. And we then spend a great deal of time in our lives trying to either conquer or protect our habits. We hide them. We put lots of energy into those habits and hurts that mark our lives so profoundly. And then somewhere along the line, for probably at least one or two of you, you discover that it feels really, really good to be right. You like being right. And before you know it, you strive and you push to be right, even at the expense of others. We also tend to accept a definition of success that largely comes from our world. To you, success might mean being tough, or it might be having the right job, or enough money, or the best education, or whatever it is for you. And then we spend lots and lots of time tending to that dream of what success needs to look like in our lives. We want whomever we shepherd, let's put it in a great context, because shepherding is a good thing, but as we begin to shepherd, we run the risk of beginning to have some pretty strong expectations for those we shepherd. We know what we have in mind for them, expectations for them, for your work, for your school, 
for yourself and your expectations very soon begin to define your contentment. And finally, the last one that I'll put up for now is this funny little thing we call control. For many of us, we come to believe that to be safe, we have to be totally in control of ourselves, of our work, of our world. <sighs> These attachments, they actually become our life, don't they? So Jesus is warning us that the more we cling to these things, the longer we stay focused on how to nurture and protect these attachments, these things that we allow to define our lives. Well, Jesus is telling us that little by little, our true self withers and decays. And the reality, as we know so well today, is that all of this will be lost. All of this will be gone. Now, I'd like to pause for a moment and remind you of something. Remember that Jesus, when he says this, is talking to Andrew and Philip, two of his disciples, two men who have already surrendered to Christ. You see, like Andrew and Philip, very many of us have made that first whole surrender and said, God, we are yours. We belong to you. We give ourselves to you. But I'm afraid that too often, with that turn of becoming children of God, we stop surrendering in the day-to-day. -day. We live as if looking at Christ on Sundays and then once or twice in the week, well, that should be enough. But Jesus seems to be asking for a deeper level of surrender. So let's get back to it. After he says, if you love your life, you will lose it, he doesn't stop and he goes on and he says this. Read it with me, please. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it and have eternal life. Does this say anyone who hates their life? No. This says anyone who hates their life in this world. There is nothing here that says you should hate yourself. That's not what this is about. Uh, someone recently said to me, and I've pondered it a great deal, and I think they're right. They said, everything is good until it comes between us and God. Surrender is about cutting loose the things of this world in order to discover the true life that God created for you. Surrender requires release of some things that we allow to come
It's hard. Hard to let go of that one. Jesus is telling us to recognize that all the trappings of this world can keep us from living the greater life, a life that is literally eternal. These things can absolutely get in the way of our ability to know God, to love God, and to serve God, which is the path to eternal life. Hating our life in this world calls for a second kind of surrender. Not only do we surrender our whole selves to God at conversion, but then there is the daily actions that help us surrender everything to him day by day. So how do we, day in and day out, surrender or set loose the things that stand between us and God, the things that come between us and true intimacy with our Father. Jesus helps us see what it takes by repeating what he told them when he first met them. Read this, please, if you would, with me. Anyone who serves me must follow me. If you want to know what to surrender, Follow Jesus. He's our guide because he both shows and tells us the way. In following him, there are two strong guiding principles in this particular passage. The first one is that Jesus knew his purpose and why surrender was needed. Jesus himself walked toward the cross with great clarity and assurance even though he knew that it would be horrendously hard. His surrender was based on knowing the very will of God. In verse 23, he knew. He knew that it was the right time. In verse 24, he knew what it would take to get the job done, even though it was death. He knew that in his surrender to the point of death, he was giving us all hope, even in death. In 27, he says, this is the very reason I've come to this point in my life. In verses 31 and 32, he knows the outcome of his surrender. How did he know so much? How did he know what God was inviting him to surrender? I'm pretty sure that every believer in this room has had at least one time in your life when you have said to God, God, if you will help me know what right looks like, I'll do it. But I'm not even sure what's right in this situation. Those times do come. My friends, we can't know God's intention and purpose in our lives if we don't spend, you know where I'm going, extended time in his presence and in his word. Many of you in this room right now are, are young. There is no more important discipline in your life 
than learning to spend time in God's presence. It is the way we discover who he is and what he intends for us. It is the place where we receive the power to do what he asks us to do. It is because Jesus knew God that he knew what to surrender. It's hard, and yet it's so simple. And so I ask myself, I didn't put this up there in the beginning, but I wonder if we should add one other thing to surrender, and that's time. Do I really need to surrender my time to him differently? My friends, if you don't have peace and you don't have direction, then I invite you to spend more time listening to him. It would be wrong for me not to pause right here and say, I know that some of you, if you could have my ear right at this moment, you would go, Judy, I've tried. I've tried to listen to God, and he's silent. When I get down and I try to pray, all I get is nothing. It's a, it's a hard process to learn to listen to God. It, it takes more time than you think. And one, one of the biggest tricks of the evil one is that when we've tried and we've attempted and it's not gone where we wanted it to yet, we have a tendency to go, yeah, doesn't work for me. Keep listening. Keep creating time for him. I promise you that he says that when we seek him with our whole heart, he will be found by us. Keep seeking. And the second thing that God, Jesus, teaches us, the second thing that he invites us to follow him in, and this one is, this one is so little and big. It's, it's not even a hard one. But I have to tell you that it stirred something up in me since this hit me as I've been working on this sermon. The thing that Jesus shows us, in which he asks us to follow, is that it was all about, are you ready? Giving glory to God. I think this one is hard for us to understand because we know so little of God's greatness. I fear that we compare him according to what we know rather than with a faith that acknowledges that he is truly God. We believe that we should be able to reason ourselves to a place of, you know, kind of getting it about God. I, need to, I should be able to fully understand him. Folks, you're never going to fully understand him. He's God. You're you. We trust science. We trust Hollywood. We trust our feelings. We even trust our theology far more than we trust the truth that he is all-powerful, ever with us, the creator of all, and that he will, in fact, one day let us know it. But Jesus got it. 
Five times in these eight verses, he calls for God to be glorified. So this gives us a foundational question to help us discern what needs to be surrendered. It's a really simple question. These things that surround me, that I identify as my life, do they help me give glory to God? Do they, in fact, bring glory to God? Or do they become the things that I give glory to? If so, maybe it's time to surrender them. Even if you're not sure of your purpose, you can tell if your thoughts and your actions are giving glory to the one true God. Jesus let us know one more thing about surrender. Read this with me, if you would, please. My soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, keep me from having to go through with this? No. This is the very reason I have come to this point in my life. Jesus himself showed us that surrender can be very painful. If you know me, I have at some point said to you, you can do hard. We as North Americans, we don't want to do hard. We want to do what's comfortable. We want to do what pleases ourselves. And yet in order to know the victory of surrender, it's probably going to cost you something. And it may be very painful, but that's okay. It's okay. Because what God is calling you to is himself, to greater intimacy and deeper love than you've ever known. St. Ignatius says this, take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own, whatever I have or hold, you have given me. I return it all to you and surrender it wholly to be governed by your will. Give me only your love and your grace, and I am rich enough and ask for nothing more.